We turn now to the word of God and we're going to read Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. I'm preaching on Psalm 100 this morning because I think it's time for a celebration. It's a joy for us to be able to meet together for worship, even though we're still in the middle of this pandemic and cannot meet all together physically at this time. Still, it's a big step and reason for us to celebrate. The next passage in the series on the book of Revelation is more about God's judgments upon the earth. And while it's important to deal with passages like those, there are times when we rightly focus our attention on passages like that are especially suited for the occasion. And I felt that Psalm 100 is perfectly suited for this occasion as we rejoice in God's goodness in allowing us to meet together in significantly larger numbers than has been possible for the last 13 weeks. Psalm 100 is about joyful worship, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. The psalm alternates between calling its readers to worship and giving reasons for worship. By meditating on these five verses, we dwell on the nature of worship itself, and we dwell on the God whom we worship. Worship involves making a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, there's no question that we can, it's possible to rejoice in a quiet way. But much of the time, joy and noise go together. That's especially the case when people are together in groups. When there is joy and togetherness, there tends to be joyful noise. And joy and togetherness are very much part of the worship of God, and so so is noise. God here himself is calling us to that. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, the fact that we are called to make a joyful noise to the Lord tells us something about the Lord. He elicits joy. There's something about God, many things about God, that that cause people to rejoice when they think of him. That, of course, assumes salvation. People who are not saved do not rejoice in God. They hate him. They may be afraid of him. Thinking of him does not cause them joy, but it does for God's people. God has forgiven the sins of his people. He is reconciled to them. The relationship between God and his people is at least the beginning of what it ought to be. And so the joy of God's people is 
that thinking of God produces is an appropriate response to who God is and what he is like. God is so wonderful in his person and in what he has done that the more that we know him, the more joy we experience. God is the perfect expression of goodness and wisdom and power and justice and truthfulness and love and mercy and grace. But that's just a list of words. God is a personal being who is the perfect embodiment of every good and attractive characteristic. He is the ultimately attractive person. And he has expressed those characteristics by creating the world, by saving his people, by caring for his people, and by judging the wicked. We know God because he reveals himself to us. And he does that by speaking, but also by his actions. That's clear from the fact that the text refers to The Lord, L-O-R-D, all in capitals. That's the name that God revealed to Moses in connection with the Exodus story. I am that I am, or Yahweh. And that connects him to history, particularly to the history of God rescuing his people from the slavery in Egypt. The God who elicits a joyful noise from his people is the God who has been active in history, rescuing his people from slavery. And for us, as New Testament Christians, God has revealed himself to us supremely in Jesus and what he has done to rescue us from the ultimate slavery of sin. The fact that God is a great source of is the great source of joy for his people speaks to how wonderfully he how wonderful he is and what a blessing it is to worship him. This is part of the the wonder of God's goodness. Whatever he asks us to do is always for our benefit as well as his glory. God wants us to worship him. God requires that we bring him glory. But in doing that, doing that is the most delightful and enriching thing that we can do. And so here in calling us to worship him, God says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Worship, worshiping God gives great joy. Thinking about God's goodness And his beautiful character and his marvelous deeds produces joy in our hearts. And then we get even more joy by expressing that joy in our words. There's something about seeing something wonderful that makes us want to put our feelings into words and to share the experience with other people. It's a profoundly beautiful truth that God has experienced us, uh, God has designed us to experience so much pleasure, not only in savoring his beauty, but also in expressing that to one another. The joyful noise of which this text speaks is a sharing together in the joy of worshiping God. 
Well, what comes next in, the first, in this first line is the phrase, all the earth. The call to make a joyful noise to the Lord is addressed to all the earth. The worship being described here is the worship of God's people, but inherent in worship is a call for everyone in the whole world to join in. The reason that it is such a natural thing to call everyone in the world to join in is that God is the God of the whole world. The reason that God is so worthy of worship is that there is only one of him. And he is so great and so glorious that there can only be one of him. God is so great and so glorious because he is infinite and there cannot be two infinite beings. In Isaiah 49, 46, 9, God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. That's why all the earth is included in the call to make a joyful noise to the Lord. There is only one God. Any other God that people may worship is infinitely inferior to the true God. This human impulse to invite others to share in our joy is an important factor in the missionary impulse. It's humans to want others. It's human to want others to share our joy. When we are being renewed in the image of God, we are growing towards being more fully human. We want everyone to share the joy of knowing God. Of course, there are other aspects to the missionary mandate. It is commanded. It has to do with the coming of God's kingdom. But this is an important part of it as well. The more we are sanctified, the more we want everyone to share in the joy of knowing and worshiping God. And the joy is multiplied as more and more people share it. That's why it's such a joy for us to worship together as a congregation. That's why the multitude in heaven around the throne is a multitude that no one can number. Worshiping in that multitude will be the ultimate joy. So when we think of who God is and how much joy we experience in worshiping him, we echo These words make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. The next line is serve the Lord with gladness. Significant that the Bible often uses the same word to refer to service and to refer to worship. That's true both in the Old Testament, Hebrew, and in the Greek of the New Testament. Means there's a very close relationship between what we think of as service and what we think of as worship. When we think of service, we tend to think of the kind of things that we do when we're not worshiping. We serve God by our daily lives and and living our daily lives as an offering to God. We serve God by acts of love and kindness. We serve God by keeping his commandments, and then we have time set aside for worship, personal worship and family worship and congregational worship. 
And it's perfectly okay to make that distinction as long as we realize that what we think of as service and what we think of as, as worship are really just variations of the same thing, the offering of our lives to God. We see this in Romans 12, 1, where Paul tells Christians to present their bodies as, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, he says. And then he goes on to speak about living the Christian life. He's speaking about what we think of as service, and he uses the language of worship. What that means is the Bible does not make much of a distinction between service and worship. Service is worship, and worship is service. Now, that does not mean that there is no distinction at all. Psalm 100, what Psalm 100 is speaking about is the gathered worship of God's people. Verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If we erase the distinction altogether, we've moved away from the biblical teaching that our response to God's goodness and glory includes the service of our everyday activities and the service of a time set apart to praise and to worship the Lord. But the point is that the two are so closely related to one another that the Bible uses the same word for both. And that fact sheds wonderful light on both on what we think of as service and what we think of as worship. Service is a form of worship, and worship is a form of service. And so the psalmist, speaking about, a gather, about gathered worship, says, Serve the Lord with gladness. He continues, And come into his presence with singing. Singing is where the joyful noise comes from. The initial context of, the, of this psalm is temple worship. And God was present in the temple in a special way. That's why the psalm says, come into his presence with singing. When the people gathered before him in the temple, they came into his presence. Of course, that changed with the coming of Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple, and the church is also the temple through its relationship with Christ. God is present in a special way in the gathering of his people. And we see this most clearly, this idea of God being present or with his people or people being present with God <clears throat> in Psalm 12, 22 and following, where the, uh, Hebrews 12, 22 and following, where the author there speaks of the assembly of the New Testament church for worship. And it sa- he says to the church, you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, you have come to God in heaven, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When the church on earth assembles for worship, it actually joins the worship of heaven. We come before God. 
We come before Jesus. We enter into the presence of God in a way that is more profound than the Old Testament worship at the temple was. And one of the things that believers do in the presence of God is sing, come into his presence with singing. Now, singing doesn't always have to be joyful. There are songs of lament in the Psalms, but certainly joy and singing often go together. Being in the presence of God is a source of great joy for believers, and singing is one of the greatest expressions of joy. As we saw earlier, joy does not have to be noisy, but it often is, and that joyful noise is often the result of singing. One of the things that we have missed most over the last 13 weeks is singing together. We've kept up our singing the best that we could under the circumstances, but we've missed the profound experience of singing together as a congregation. And we're thankful that we can enter more fully into that experience now. The importance of singing in worship makes the decision-making about singing now very difficult. And the reason is that singing is very conducive to spreading the virus. This virus is spread, we're told, mostly by droplets from our breath. Singing spews out a lot more droplets than simply breathing or talking. One of the ways that we're seeking to minimize the risk is by limiting the number of verses that we sing in a worship service. On the one hand, singing is so important that we are willing to take some risk in order to sing together. And on the other hand, we want to minimize that risk. And less singing is one of the ways that we're doing that. Anyway, let's rejoice in the Lord that we can sing together in greater numbers and that Even those who cannot be physically present can sing along with the congregation that is gathered here. Verse 3 focuses on God and our relationship to him. The reason we worship is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Worship begins with knowing that The Lord, that is Yahweh, is God. It begins with the acknowledgement that the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is God. The whole Bible teaches that there is only one true God, the God of the Bible, And this psalm about worship includes this command, know that Yahweh, he is God. Heart of worship is the acknowledgement that the Lord is God. This is the, the, the great and basic ethical requirement of human existence to acknowledge that the Lord is God. 
Oh, the Bible speaks of this in, in different ways. Sometimes the New Testament speaks of unbelievers as those who do not know God. Other times it speaks of unbelievers as those who do know God, but who suppress that knowledge. Romans one twenty one says of unbelievers, for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Earlier in that passage, Paul says that the unrighteous suppress the truth. So deep down, all people know God, but the unrighteous suppress that truth, and so there's a sense in which they don't know God. But knowing God is the basic ethical requirement upon all people. And so the acknowledgement of the existence of the God of the Bible is the foundation of worship. The most important thing in life is the knowledge of God, and we are required to know God. Our first response to God is acknowledging that he is God. And that remains an important foundation for our worship. We acknowledge with joy and adoration that the Lord, he is God. But to acknowledge that the Lord is God is at the same time to say something about us. If he is God, we are not God. It is he who made us and we are his. When we acknowledge that the Lord, he is God, we also acknowledge that it is he who made us. To acknowledge God to be God is to acknowledge him to be the creator and ourselves to be created. That's the most basic and significant fact about us as human beings. We do not exist independently of God. We have been made by God and for God. We're kept into existence, in existence from moment to moment by God. We are creatures who exist to do what we were created to do, and that is to respond to God in worship and service. The fact that God made us is the most significant thing about us. And worship is about acknowledging that fact. We come into the presence with God with singing, acknowledging that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us. Part of joyful worship is happily taking our place before him as people he has made. There's great joy in humbling ourselves before God and acknowledging him as the one who made us. The sin of exalting ourselves in the presence of God is monstrous and grotesque. It's not a happy place to be. We're not designed to flourish that way. There's no joy in it. The joy is in being who we're created to be, to humbly embrace our creaturehood and acknowledge God to be the one who is worthy of worship and gladly take our place before him as worshipers. The text goes on to speak of the relationship between God and his people. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Here the focus is on the relationship between God 
with his people. We belong to God by virtue of creation, but above and beyond that, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The text here focuses on the fact that God has chosen his people from out of all the other peoples of the world. The great message of the Bible is that we're all sinners, we're all worthy of death, but that God has chosen a people to himself through whom he is at work to bring about the salvation of the world. People of God are a people set apart from all the other peoples of the world. The Bible makes it clear that the purpose of that setting apart is to bless all the families of the earth. But to belong to, 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 belong to God is a huge reason for praise. There's no greater blessing on earth than to belong to the people of God. God is our shepherd. He cares for us. He feeds us. He protects us. He leads us. And Jesus laid down his life for us, and he gives us abundant life. Because of who God is, because he is so wonderful, because of who we are as creatures designed to flourish in his service, a huge part of our joyful worship has to do with his mercy in including us to belong to his people. The Bible makes it clear that we are no better than others, makes it clear that we're not chosen because of anything remarkable or good about us. We are all sinners worthy of death, but God has chosen us for salvation. He has sent Jesus to be our Savior. He has brought us from from death to life. He's taken away all our sins, and so we live in the light of his favor. We experience the blessedness of living for him. And that's a huge part of the reason for joyful worship. God demonstrates so much of his glory in the love and the grace that he has shown to us in Jesus Christ. Well, verse 4 turns again to the nature of worship. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Thanksgiving is a key part of worship. Thanksgiving is the acknowledgement that all the good is the acknowledgement rather of all the good that we receive from God. Everything that is good in our lives comes from God. Life itself comes from God. And then there's God's forgiveness and renewal in Christ. There's the joy of a relationship with God. There's the joy of belonging to his people. There are the rich experiences of beauty and pleasure and fulfillment and fascination that are enjoyed as expressions of God's bounty and love and generosity. The fact that thanksgiving is such an important part of worship means that God is a very giving God. We're thankful because God showers us with good things, and that in turn reveals to us God's desire to bless. Thanksgiving is gratitude for gifts given, but it is especially concerned with the gracious and generous character of the giver. And so it is mixed with praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And verse 5 turns again to God himself as the one who is so worthy of our worship. For, God, for the Lord is good. 
His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Three characteristics, three characteristics of God that are reasons for singing and joyful noise and service and thanksgiving and praise. The Lord is good. How simple and yet how profound. There is good and there is evil. We experience both. We contribute to both. The hope of the gospel is that through Christ, good has and will triumph over evil in our lives and in the whole world. Our lives are lived in the context of good and evil, but God is pure goodness. He's always and only good. He is good through and through. All that he does is good. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He is good, and in him is no evil at all. Isn't that not, is that not reason for making a joyful noise? Evil is a great mystery. It's a terrible thing. It's the cause of all misery and suffering. But we know that the ultimate reality in the universe is not evil, but good. And good not as an abstraction, but as a glorious person who made all things. We know that evil does not come from God. We know that he has overcome evil in Jesus. We know that God is working towards a good end and that God is working all things together for the good of his people. Psalm 145.7 says, Of the worship of God's people, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And then Psalm 100 mentions that the Lord's steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Those two phrases, they, they explain one another. Steadfast love and faithfulness are closely related. The idea has to do with a love that endures. And so faithfulness to the relationship. Both steadfast love and faithfulness last forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. So God's goodness is not fickle. It endures forever. And in, particularly, in particular, his, his relationship of love with his people is completely permanent. First Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And therefore we are secure. One of the glorious things about a good marriage is security in the relationship because both partners are faithful. No human being is as faithful as God is faithful. And on top of God's on top of that, God's faithfulness, his steadfast love is forever. And so it is faithful through death. 
their security in God's love in every circumstance and through death and into eternity. God has shown this to us supremely in his Son. Jesus is the ultimate expression of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. We are promised that if we come to Christ, we will never be cast out. We are promised that in Christ we have eternal life and that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. That's because the love of Christ is steadfast love. What reason then to make a joyful noise to the Lord and to call all the earth to join us? The worship of God is a very profound thing. It is the response of the creature to the creator. It is the response of the saved to their savior. It is the response of people who are designed for worship to the one who is worthy of worship. What a blessing it is to know God to belong to him, to be his people, and to have the great blessing and joy to come before him in worship. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God, Yahweh, the God of your people, the God of our salvation, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you And we are so thankful for this psalm and for all the realities that are expressed in it and implied in it. Lord, what a glorious thing it is that to truly worship you is to experience the most profound joy that we can know. We are so thankful that you have made us and that you have made us for this. We are thankful for the degree to which In your grace, we have experienced these things in our hearts and in our lives and in our togetherness. And we pray that we may may enter into a deeper knowledge and experience of, of you and of worshiping you and of doing that together with your people. Lord, it is such a a gloriously profound reality. And we we are so blessed in that you have designed us for this. And we thank you for Jesus and for the salvation that is in him because we know that by nature we do not worship you. And so the joy that we experience in worship is all the result of of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the transformation and the reconciliation that we have experienced in him. Help us, Lord, to to grow in in our experience of these things, in knowing you better and worshiping you with from a deeper part of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.